And welcome back to another episode of Afterthoughts Podcast with Kelly and Joel. I am your host, Kelly, and I would like to uh, just reiterate what we were talking about last time. We discussed the part one of 1984 last time, and now we are going to continue with part two There are of three parts. Yeah, or 1985. Yes, and then the sequel, 1985. No, there is no sequel, 1985. Joel. Kelly. Uh-huh. Anyway, so where we last left off, we were talking about that old man, right? Who was kind of being elusive, and he was trying to, and uh, Winston was trying to ask him questions and stuff like that. What were the highlights that you had noticed about part two? Was there anything you wanted to bring out first and foremost? No, I want to hear what you have to say. Oh, for the love of Pete. Okay. <laughs> what? All right. Uh, I so mean, there's so much that happened. I. Well, well, look, like we're at a point where Julia, uh, the member of the anti-sex league and of the, uh, what party was she in? Uh, I can't remember. She was, she was in the fiction department of the Ministry of Truth. Yes. So they, okay, that's they right. They are currently entangled in an affair. Yes. So they, to, to put it, uh, you know, to put it simply, uh, Winston and Julia have become lovers. And um, she is, I don't know, significantly younger than he is. But at least, she, he said about five years or so. She, she is more youthful than him, absolutely. Yeah. Because he's sort of run down. Like, he's not elderly, but he is run down in a way where he is old. Yes. Of mind. And she really, uh, I think what she desires about him is how he's different yes. than other people. How he... Like, you can see it in his eyes, like, the way he can see it in other people's eyes that are sort of awake and, and yeah. know what they live in. Uh, and they're renting this little, like, apartment space in the back of a shopkeeper's yes. building where all the proles live. Yeah. Sort of the underclass. The, yes, the underclass or the sort of the cockney class of the uh, book, The Human Race. Yeah. So... Um, what, the big thing that happened was she slipped Winston a note saying, I love you in it. Okay. That's all it said. She didn't give him his, her name or anything like that. So it started with that. So now what they have had to do is meet secretly. And when they are open in public, they have to make it look like one is ahead of the other. Um, they, they can't be seen out in public together. If they're standing next to each other, they can whisper, but then they can only be around each other for about 30 seconds, and then they have to part ways so they can not be suspected of being together, because if they were, then the thought police would hunt them down, and it would just be a bad situation, because they are not supposed to be in love. They are not supposed to have feelings for each other, so... Yep. That's that's the big thing of this whole part two is their relationship together. That's pretty much it, the whole thing. It's a healthy chunk, but it doesn't actually end with that. It no, ends, it doesn't. It ends with them uh, interacting with O'Brien. Yes. Uh, but we, we'll get back to that. Part of what fascinates me about this section of the book is that there is a 
great contrast between the way Julia acts and thinks and the way Winston acts and thinks. Julia, she is very present moment minded. Mm-hmm. She she wants to live in the present moment. She wants to revel in their sort of like not debauchery, but like the the sort of forbidden fruit kind of yeah. love and relationship. She and, likes that. And she likes how she sort sort of built like a quasi home life for them in this little apartment space yeah. with some of the upper party member quality foods mm-hmm. and coffee and things. They even bring up how like uh, Winston has fattened up <laughs> since yes. they started doing this as well as uh, he is able to like I forget what was wrong with his leg, but it's sort of gone away. Yeah, sort of gone away uh, at this so point. So he's like, he's healthy again, or he's getting healthier. Yeah. And, and she she is focused on reveling in the moment and enjoying what they have. Right. Winston is, his mind is totally into the past. And, yes. and I mean, it, part one of this book sort of also makes it pretty clear that like he is so wrapped up and concerned about what is being lost to time because the descriptions of things keeps changing and uh the events keep on being retold in different ways and yeah and also like fearful of the future because he you know sees what happened in the past and was worried that he is going to see the same thing in the future and it is this sort of like back and forth of their conversations will be like him trying to relay to her the importance of how this is how it used to be mm-hmm. and this is how it is now. And then her kind of like entertaining him yes. by saying, okay, yeah, that that's fine. I mean, yes. And, and um, in, in her youth, I feel like she has more wisdom a little bit because while he has a broader understanding of what has happened in the series of events, I think that's kind of true for all time. Yes. You know, all time, you know, the sands of time sort of whittle away at history until all that's left are the basis footnotes. Right. And even then, you know, history is decided by the winners. Right. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, of course. So, I, I mean, mean, exactly. You know, I mean, it, it's portrayed as callous, but it's true. It is true. But... One thing to go off of that, chapter nine was an hour and a half long in and of itself when mm-hmm. you're listening to the audiobook, which I find very interesting because um, going back to what you're saying about O'Brien, he is seen um, as this, um, as it's described here, a mysterious, powerful, and sophisticated member of the inner party whom Winston believes is also a member of the Brotherhood, which is uh, a group of people dissidents. who are yeah, yeah. they're dissidents. Hey, o- O'Brien and Winston had exchanged looks in the past and, and Winston took it as like a knowing glance mm-hmm. that, you know, O'Brien knew what he was thinking. Yep. It's kinda like how you can look somebody in the eyes and tell whether that there's even anything going on in the back of their minds. Right. You know? Or right. Yeah, like if they look at you and you feel like that they're piercing through your soul. Yes, <laughs> you exactly. Know? So there's there's a lot to be said about well, his interactions with him. Then let's say it. So it's really it's just a look, and he's like, maybe he knows who I am. Maybe he maybe he's piercing right through my soul. But, maybe he can see me. But but it goes beyond that. They they meet at the apartment. Oh yeah, yeah. And have I a haven't gotten there yet. About it. Yes. I, I mean, so um, he is. 
he is showing Winston as a member of the Brotherhood or this legendary anti-party uh, rebel. And he's supposed to be ahead of this and completely different from what he appears to be on the outside. So um, he's talking to him and he gives him this big book and it is uh, just pretty much the rules of the laws and the inner party and kind of getting to know what goes on in the inner party and why they are doing what they are doing. It's just like, it's almost like an instruction manual. Mm, it's, it's, it's more like a novel. Uh, it's, well, I mean, of it's, course. It is written by Emmanuel Doldstein, which is like the figure, hated figurehead mm-hmm. of the inner party. Uh, enemy to Big Brother. Yeah. It, it, these are where the parallels to Animal Farm mm-hmm. happen. It's the same yes. kind of storytelling. Because you had uh, Napoleon and... Snowball. Snowball, the two pigs. And... Yeah, and Snowball was the one that was yes. turned out, you know, martyred. Not I martyred, wanted but. to bring this up before, too, because it is Big Brother against... What's his name? Because they don't mention him very often. Emmanuel Goldstein. Uh, Emmanuel Goldstein. We just Thank said you. It. Goldstein. Yeah. Well, you just said it. Um, Goldstein. He's referred to as Goldstein. Yes. And so I, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, they're like these rivals, these bitter rivals, just like Napoleon and uh, Snowball were. And so yes, now we are seeing these parallels between the two and how um, Orwell was clearly showing um, a. It's, it's worth noting they're portrayed as bitter, bitter rivals. I don't know if they truly yeah, are. Yeah, that's, that's another uh, I, thing. I mean, you think about the framework of the world. I mean, they've shown time and time again how Winston re- remembers certain footnotes of what's happened and yeah. how it's been twisted in the national media to then be something else entirely. So yeah. Goldstein, or Goldstein is seen as this ethereal enemy, but... It's just like the whole, like, we've always been at war with East Asia kind of mindset. Yes. Like how they change hands about who they're waging war on, and then they deny that they were ever at war with the with people Asia, that they're now. It's, now it's like Europe or Asia, Europe or whatever they call I mean, they, Eurasia they keep, and East Asia. Yeah, that, that's yeah. it. Because they keep bouncing back and forth. And Winston knows this because he had, they work overtime to hide all of this stuff, so they... They keep the proles in, you know, check. And uh, interestingly enough, it was kind of funny how Winston mentioned one thing. And he said the proles are the only human beings. Mm-hmm. They're happy in their ignorance. And I found that very, I, I don't know. It was almost like it was some sort of a, a release for him to know that somebody somewhere was actually human and not living this constant lie. Yeah, I think it's more the idea that, like, they don't think of the circumstances of their state of mind of what they're living in. Yeah. Because it doesn't concern them. It's, it's kind of the same way that Julia is, where she has the knowledge of what the party does mm-hmm. and where their place is. And she may rebel, but I don't see her as somebody being terribly mindful about the larger inner workings of the party or, or how they manipulate right. the, the classes. It's more like, it's more of a, a younger person's kind of rebellion where they are 
bending or breaking rules to suit mm-hmm. their own ends or wants. Right. And that that is where there is some similarity between her and the proles. Um, well, if we go real quick to O'Brien again. So they, they meet at their room. Mm-hmm. And he comes with a butler who then pours them, like, actual wine, something that's right. kind of this relic of the past that nobody really has. And he mentions that this book that he's giving to them as a member of the, the party, or not, of the Brotherhood now, it is written by Goldstein. Yes. So it is, like, his tome. It's kind of like, uh, oh, what's the book that uh, Lennon wrote? Oh, Lord. Um, I, I forget what it is, but it's like, it is his, um, I'm, I'm losing the word for it, but let's, let's say it's his Mein Kampf, like, you know, to, to Hitler or what, what he is. Right, that's, right. That's not the fairest comparison, but like, that's the closest one I can think of. Yeah. But it is his philosophy. Like, like it is mm-hmm. his understanding of the world. Right. And, and the way, and the inner gears of the different political and national machines churning and, and, and using the war economy uh, as its driving force. Right. So, so the, they have a conversation before we just that where he is basically answering all of Winston's questions and kind of reaffirming what Winston always knew. And this invigorates and incites Winston because he's finally like, somebody understands <laughs> what right. I'm going. I'm not crazy. Yes. <laughs> you know, this stuff is actually happening. So, no. And, and so, which brings me to the fact that he gave him this inner party book about how it works and what's, you know, uh, you know, the mindset behind it all. And so Winston is reading this out loud to Julia and she's going back to the way Julia was or is. She's very, you know, youthful and looks more toward the future, as you said. And he was reading her the chapter one, I believe, of the book. And she starts falling asleep. And he's like, are you awake? And she's like, mm-hmm, yeah, I'm listening. And so she's kind of listening, but she's really more asleep. She, she's humoring him. Yeah, she's it, humoring him. It, yeah, it, it's, but it, it's fascinating to me that part of that interaction with O'Brien and Winston, uh, was sort of initiating them mm-hmm. and they had to answer so many questions about would you do this for the brotherhood would you do this for the brotherhood and eventually dot like would you betray each other for the brotherhood and uh she said no right away mm-hmm. and he had to think about it right like he, he right. paused for a second and, and it's i don't think it was a matter of him like debating in his mind it just the the weight of what was being asked of him Yes. Hit him like a sack of bricks. Yes. And, you know, even then he agreed to it. And it's, you know, they describe how it's, you know, you, you're only going to interact with one or two Brotherhood members mm-hmm. throughout your Ever. span of time. Right. Uh, you know, if you don't see them again, it's probably because they've been caught and killed. Uh, under- or we've just cycled through more. Or cycled through them. Understand that this is the last time we're going to meet. Yeah. Uh, understand that the end result of you being a part of the brotherhood is you will get caught and you will get killed or disappeared somehow into labor camps right so it's basically like it's a suicide pact right Uh, i mean Mm -hmm. it's basically you agreeing that you are becoming an asset to this counterinsurgent Mm -hmm. movement and you better be willing to forsake everything that you right could possibly care about and you know the the other part of the fascinating me is that there there's this old song that kind of gets reprised over and over uh 
the something in lemons of St. Clemens or oh, something yeah, like that. Oh, yeah, they keep saying that. Uh, it's like a chant. Well, it's it's an example of losing a part of history over time. Yes. Because it's something that, like, the shopkeeper knew part of it. Uh, Winston and Julia, you know, cobbled together other pieces of it. And then they got O'Brien to finish the stanza because yeah. he had the knowledge of it. But it was almost this, like, grim knowledge he was passing on because he had the grim look on his face as he was pursuing that. Yes. Uh, going back to the book, because as you said, like, this this sequence ends with him reading this book. Um, I mean, or at least that's the bulk of, right. you know. Right, right. So it, it is the philosophy it's philosophy of uh goldstein Mm -hmm. but it is just as much like a not tutorial it's it's like describing the history in a more in-depth way and also trying to provide the detail about how you know these nations as they consolidated into three superpowers uh, you know the war, the wars are so frequent that they're basically constant, which means that if war is constant, then we're never at war. Right. So that's where this, the war, term "war is peace" comes from. Mm-hmm. You know, and they also talked about how really, you know, they might be fighting with each other, but it is this sort of mutual back and forth that they're always trying to do to just twist the population into a frenzy and, and right. keep them engaged in having bloodlust for each other. Right. And, and also how each different nation state has a different party philosophy, but they more or less are the same in their core tenets. Right. You know, mm-hmm. sort of a, a nationalism, a hate of their enemy states, and then a willingness to go along with what the party says. Right, exactly. Yeah, so this this is how it ends. So Winston is reading this to Julia, and they're lying in bed together, and she's falling asleep. And um, so he's... What we find out at the end of part two is that... Mr. Charrington is, or Char, yeah, Charrington, yeah. He's the shopkeeper. He's the shopkeeper and also the one who was renting the room to them. Right. He is actually a a member of the inner party, so he's like a, he's like a a spy, sort of. Like an undercover agent, sort of. Yes. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, they, you know, they break in on them and they arrest Winston and Julia and... Um, they take them to, you know, away from each other, never to see each other again. So now we know that Mr. Charrington was actually like a double agent kind of person. Right. So that's where that that's where part two ended so, right there. So that's that's a stage that they have been implicated mm-hmm. by him because he's going to have the records and information. Yep. To provide to the party that these people have been canoodling, you know, mm-hmm. getting contraband, uh, you know, ba- causing all sorts of mischief. Yeah. And basically, you know, it's up to this point. It, it is literally like you toe the line and follow the rules or you will be put into a labor camp, put in prison or executed or disappeared. 
Right. And even even earlier on in this book, when Winston was just writing his journal, he was like, "This is already a, a <laughs> yeah, a, a, you know, killable offense, basically. Right. Right. You know, the the thought crime. Yes. As they called it, and it, it's so that is a great place to leave it off because it it is sort of that cliffhanger where you're just like, okay, things are in motion now, where the bubble's going to burst and then yes. they're going to be trying to figure out how to survive. Yep. And that is the real fascinating thing. I'm I'm really really eager to get to the third part because there's some good stuff in the end. Yeah, <laughs> I would imagine so. Yes. Oh, I think it's also um important to point out that even the um brotherhood they don't know if Emmanuel Goldstein is even alive, or if he even existed. No, just... that that parallels a snowball thing. Yeah, you, you know, it's they they are similar characters and, and similar purposes to be the object of hate. They even talk about when they do the two minutes hate. They mm-hmm. they put a big picture of him on the screen for them yes. to all yell and scream at. Yep. Um, but it's it, it is what what interests me is the broader themes and tones of these parts of the book and it is sort of like act one where you know life is drab and dull this guy hates everything and and feels like he's the only one awake in this world outside of Mm o'brien and then it's two which is like the sort of eye of the storm grace period where he's able to enjoy life and then we're going to act three where we have to see what, if any, consequences for them doing this and being found out happens. Right. And there's just the way that they elaborate on some of these themes and like the war is peace, mm-hmm. freedom is slavery, uh, or is, ignorance is freedom. Ignorance is freedom. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- there's there's so much thought coming from Winston from a, a point of cynicism and like almost disdain for his station in life. And then you have the people who are full on party members unquestioning. They will say similar kinds of things, but they will be saying it gleefully like they're doing right. a great service. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> like, like uh, you, you know, I mean, we're, we're we just got done reading another book that we'll talk about after we do yes. 1984 that is kind of completely antithetical to the tones of this book, which is basically that, you know, you are part of this machine that is grinding people into dust to fuel the machine so it self-perpetuates. And uh, it's hard not to read sections of this book without feeling a little down. Yes, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, you know. I mean, th- this is this is the Senate's handbook to uh world affairs and governments and economies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you want to feel the worst about things, if you want to assume that uh governments exist only to oppress, you know, which We'll leave it at that. Uh, If you want to believe that uh, the economies of the world are meant to use humans only as value for what they produce in labor and not their inherent human value as a person. Yeah. uh, And and then if you see war as a never-ending state of back and forth 
that is unalterable no matter what you do. Right. And, and so the question at that, that length is, it goes back to the Winston and Julia question. Do you focus on the past and what was lost and then fear for the future because of that? Or do you accept the world as it is mm-hmm. and then just try to revel in the moments you have of your life? Right. Yeah, th- those are the sort of two dichotomies that are at play at this part of the the show. The right. Book. <laughs> yeah. So Yep. So no, that's uh that was part two um in its in its more broader uh form. Just to uh recap on that, I found it incredibly interesting and incredibly intriguing now that we know they're They've been arrested by the party, and so we'll see what happens from then on. And yeah, so uh, that's that's pretty much it. That'll take us to the end of part two and this episode. Um, we will wrap it up next time with the uh, part three of uh, of nineteen eighty four. should be a very good uh, it should be a very good discussion now 